Be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now today we get to look at something much more positive than not to be conformed to this world, rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this word, in contrast to conformity, which is kind of being squished into, you know, and pushed by outward circumstances and peer pressure, etc., to be something that you're really not, transformation, metamorpho, it's a complete change from the inside out. It's a total, complete change. If a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott begins a four-part message titled, Be Transformed. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. After spending 11 chapters telling us of God's marvelous grace and all that He's done for us in Christ, Paul bursts into praise. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him And to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we've seen that it took Paul 11 chapters to come to the point where he really gives the first and the main and really, in one sense, the only exhortation of the Christian life. Look what God has done. Now you, Christian, give yourself to him. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's what God's looking for. It's well-pleasing to God. He is pleased when his children voluntarily and willingly say, I'm yours. You do with me as you want. That's what God is looking for. And it's the only rational thing to do. It's the only reasonable thing to do when you think about it. Your life is not yours. It's His. He created you. He recreated you in Christ Jesus. He loves you enough to give His Son for you. You can trust Him. (laughs) You can trust Him completely. And you're to put your life on the altar, so to speak. And so am I. And it's a point in time, but it's a continual thing too. And as we do will prove out what the will of God is. Now you say, what will that look like? It will be completely different from the world around us. We looked at that last week. Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world's values, priorities, attitudes squeeze you into their mold. 
No, we're different. We're salt. We're light. We're to follow Him who is the light of the world. And we will be reflections of Him. We're not to be like this world. Is that serious? Oh, it's very serious. The Scripture says, don't love the world, the things in the world. All that's of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, all that is not from the Father. And it's passing away. It's passing away. And so we looked at reasons not to be conformed to this world last time. And God is serious about it. In fact, the strongest language I think I could use is the scriptural language. When a Christian starts to get enticed by this world, when a Christian lets his mind start to think the way those who don't know God think, the scripture calls it adultery. Adultery. You adulteresses, James writes. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? I mean, that's strong language. I can't think of a stronger way to put it. God is very serious about it. But uh, that's not the end of the exhortation. He doesn't just say, don't be like the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't think like the world. He says, be different from them. But he leaves the negative now and look at the next phrase. Be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now today we get to look at something much more positive than not to be conformed to this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this word, in contrast to conformity, which is kind of being squished into, you know, and pushed by outward circumstances and peer pressure, etc., to be something that you're really not, transformation, metamorpho, it's a complete change from the inside out. It's a total, complete change. If a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be changed, be transformed. And it's something that God does initially at salvation, and then it's a lifelong process of transformation, change. I remember in grade school when they taught us about metamorphosis, you know, and, and the change that takes place, and a little ugly caterpillar weaves itself into a cocoon and completely changes. And we tried to get branches with them on there, stick them in a box in the room to watch this amazing, miraculous, starts out as a little worm and changes from the inside out completely. And there's a butterfly, beautiful, freedom and flits around, you know, and that's the same word. That's the word we get here when he says, be transformed. It's complete conversion of our lives. It's used four times in the New Testament. It's used here, and it's used twice in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark, when he speaks of our Lord being transfigured, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in Matthew's account, we read his face when Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John and just was metamorphosed. You know, he was transformed. He was changed. He was transfigured. We read, his face shone like the sun. Garments, his garments became as white as light. In Mark's account, 
He says, his garments became radiant, exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them, (laughs) Mark wrote. He said, I can't describe the white. It was so radiant. Jesus was completely transformed before them as they saw just a smidgen of his glory. I think that's a little foreshadowing. You know, when Jesus took his three up there and just showed him his glory a bit, just think what we'll see when Jesus Christ comes back. He won't be humble and shielded and shrouded from us in the sense that people could look at him and say, he's just a carpenter. Oh, no. They'll see him in all his glory. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow, we're told. Luke doesn't use the word, but he describes uh, the same thing. And he says, basically, in fact, he literally says, he became different. That's what transformation is. Now, the fourth occurrence is in 2 Corinthians 3, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But uh, these are the times the Bible uses this term, be transformed, and it has the idea you're going to be completely different, and people will see it. It'll be noticeable. We're to be like Him. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Romans 8 told us that's a process whereby He conforms us to the image of His Son. We become not like this world but like Jesus. That's an amazing thing. We who follow the light of the world become more and more the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before men. You are the light of the world, he said to his followers. He said, I want you to be like me. Reflect me to this world. And Christian growth and Christian life is that transformation whereby Jesus Christ takes over more and more control of our lives, and our lives, through the empowering Holy Spirit, actually reflect Him. Now, we want to uh, take a close look at this because, as I say, it's crucial. It's, it's what the Christian life is all about. This is the crucial exhortation of the book. It's, in one sense, you could say Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the crucial exhortation of the book, the Bible. For the believer, you come to Christ, you accept what he's done for you, and then you give yourself to him. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you see that? Look at verse 2. This transformation doesn't just happen. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Christianity is not some sort of faith whereby you just check your mind out. Christianity is not some sort of mindless mysticism. The mind is absolutely crucial. God, who gave us the capacity to think, expects us to think. In fact, when you come to Christ, you have to think and believe certain truths and facts to become a Christian. So don't ever think, and it's a terrible mistake, and one, it's one our generation making often, to just think that you just kind of check your intellect out and just, just go with the flow and, and emotion-based Christianity. Oh, God had created us emotional beings too. Don't misunderstand me. But he calls for a renewing of the mind. The mind is absolutely crucial to the Christian life. In fact, this first command was what? Give yourself to me. It's the only rational thing to do. 
It's the only reasonable thing to do. It's the only logical thing to do. We saw that word. He called us right then to think about it and then act. So he says, now be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So much depends on what you think about. So much hinges on what you fill your mind with. How are you doing in your Christian life? Can your Christian life style... Now, remember, because he's not talking about just theory here. He's talking about how we live. Can your life, Christian, can your lifestyle be characterized by the word transformed? (laughs) Changed. Are you a new person? And is it showing? If your answer is questionable, I suggest you check out what you're doing with your mind. The mind is crucial. In fact, Romans began, didn't it, by saying that when man turns away from God, God gives him over to futile speculations, impure passions, degrading passions. And the final third, when he says God gave them over, they they turned away and God let them turn away to impurity of heart, degrading passions, and a depraved mind. When man turns away from God, the unregenerate mind is depraved. It loses its capacity to even discern between good and evil. And Romans 1 began there in that state we were all in with a depraved mind, the depravity of man. There's something desperately wrong. Oh, we've got intellect. We can build greater and greater gadgets and amazing things and technology, but there's something wrong at the core of our thinking ability. Depravity of mind. Look over at Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians for just a second. Ephesians 4. And watch how Paul describes it there. He calls it the futility, the vanity of the mind. Verse uh, 17 and following. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. He said, now... And Ephesians chapter 4 is right where Romans 12 is. You know, he's, he's explained all what God has done. And he says, now, I want you to walk not like those who don't know God, not like those who walk or live. Their lifestyle is in the futility, the vanity of their thinking. Notice verse 18, being darkened in their understanding. You see the intellectual language he uses here? Christianity has your mind fully engaged, not only when you come to Christ, but as you grow in Christ. He says, don't walk in the futility of your mind like they do, darkened in their understanding. Verse 19, having become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And by the way, when the mind is messed up, everything follows. Just like in Romans 1, all the garbage that he described there that we see so much of in our culture today is the product of a depraved mind. A futile way of thinking, a darkened understanding leads to, you know, he touches on it here, sensuality, the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But, verse 20, you didn't learn Christ in this way. Here again, notice the language he uses. You didn't learn Christ 
in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renew yourself in the spirit of your mind, he says. Same thing he says in Romans. The mind is crucial. What are you thinking about? What are you putting into your mind? Are you being renewed in your mind? I'll tell you, knowledge of God is crucial. In fact, uh, in Second Peter, he says, you know, I want you in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge. He says, I want you to get knowledge of me. And he closes off the book, he says, with that blessing or doxology. And he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge is God's way of transforming us. The more we know about him, the more we renew our mind with God's thoughts about himself, God's self-revelation of himself, the more we are transformed from the inside out. This has always been God's way of working. In fact, in Hosea, in the Old Testament, he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And somebody says, well, how can they be faulted? They didn't even know. And Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, how can they, though... They don't know. I mean, they didn't, they're just ignorant. They couldn't know. And we hear a lot of that kind of talk today. But you read the rest of that verse, and it says that it's a willful ignorance. Because you've rejected knowledge, he speaks right to Israel. You've rejected knowledge, and you've forgotten the law of your God. You've ignored. You've forgotten. You've avoided God's word. And hence, you don't know God. And you're going into exile because of it. You're going to be destroyed because of your lack of knowledge. How many people today say, I don't know about that. I don't know. And they just willfully are ignorant of what God has given us. He wrote us a whole book. Well, I don't like it. That's your problem, not its problem. Well, it's hard. No, it's not. Have you ever read it? I had a long discussion with a man this week who had a lot of thoughts on the Bible, and I asked him how much of it he'd read, and he said, well, I haven't read much of it. But he still had a lot to say. He kept coming back with all kinds of thoughts about the Word of God. And I said, well, have you read? And I asked him about one particular book. No, I hadn't read that. I said, I'd plead with you to read it. Well, I tell you, there's so many interpretations. <laughs> well, yeah, have you read it? I kept coming back to it. Have you read it? Turn over to, to uh, Isaiah. Look over at Isaiah 5. You know, our Lord, when he came, when he came, he, uh, remember he, he gave the parable of the vineyard and he spoke right out of Isaiah 5. And uh, Isaiah 5 underlines this thought. In Isaiah 5, he said, you know, I came to Israel looking for good fruit and all I found was worthless fruit. And Jesus applied that in Matthew, he took that parable, that song of the vineyard in Isaiah 5. You'll see it there in the first three verses of Isaiah 5. And he applied that, the worthless fruit that God found. Ultimately, when God sent messengers, the prophets, they beat him up and they killed him and they sent him off. And finally he said, I'll send my son. And he sent his son and they killed him. 
And remember, Jesus was very pointed about the fruitlessness of Israel, culminating in rejection of Christ. But as you read the chapter of Isaiah, it's interesting because uh, Isaiah describes the worthless fruit that they were producing. And it's interesting, it involved an awful lot of economic prosperity. Verse 8, Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. Things were popping in the market and realtors and people that amassing land, they were making lots of money. And there was a lot of prosperity and there was a lot of pleasure. Woe, verse 11, to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. And their banquets are accompanied by harp and lyre, by tambourine and flute and by wine. I'll tell you, the money was rolling in and people knew what to do with it in Israel. They were enjoying it with the banquets and the music industry and all the rest. It was luxurious living. And there was a lot of drinking, as we see. There was, when God looked for justice, he didn't find it. He found violence. He found wickedness running rampant. Verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. You look at our culture today, and it's hard not to see the analogy, isn't it? The wealth we're basking in, the luxury we have on every hand. We've got all sorts of music in every sort of form. We've got every banquet, every delight of the mouth. We've got our drinks, our drugs to kind of lure us into. And you look at the culture, you know, and it's rotten to the core. And when God looks for justice, does he see it? No, he sees violence. He sees the slaughter of the newborns. He sees the slaughter of the unborn. He sees all the wickedness of the crime and the non-justice. This is what God sees when he looks at a culture. And uh, he sees the pride and the arrogance where people say, we don't believe in that kind of a God anymore. Look at verse 20. That's what Israel was saying. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're the generation that's going to reinvent. Don't you like that? We're going to reinvent government, so they said. We're going to reinvent character. We're going to reinvent ethics. We're going to reinvent yourself if you go to the right store and buy the right clothes. You know, you can reinvent. We can just start over and we'll call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who do that, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. You say, this looks an awful lot like our culture. Yes. And verse 13 says this, therefore, in fact, twice in this chapter, he summarizes with the word therefore. Therefore, my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Be Transformed, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. 
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191. Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Read the Scripture with Christ-centered eyes. Look for Christ on every page. Theologians talk about the Christocentric nature of the Scripture. It's true. When you come to the Bible, it isn't just to get religious data. It's to be transformed. When we say abide in His Word, it's so that you'll see Him. The more time you spend in His Word, the more you see the very glory of God in the face of Christ. And you'll lose your, you know, your enthrallment with this world as you're enthralled with the very glory of God, the face of Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit's ministry to take the things of Christ and make them real to us. He will glorify me, Jesus said, because he'll take the things of mine and disclose them to you. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Be Transformed. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.